Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. So I'm going to be presenting on um, the adequacy of perfusion, and this is very debatable, and it's been questioned, especially as a new grad. When I was graduating and I was in my rotations, I was asked m multiple times, what should our flow be, and what should the cardiac index be? And I would always say 2.4, because that's what I was taught in school, in books, by a lot of professors and stuff. So always 2.4. But someone along the way, he was like, are you sure it's 2.4? Do we really need it? Does the patient really needs it? And I like started looking at him like, I don't know. Why would he ask that? Like, I don't know. And so that's when um, he started breaking everything down for me. And he started giving me articles to read. And he was like, I want you to read this article, this article. So that's when I was like, we really don't need 2.4. Mm -hmm. It's actually all dependent on the patient's need and their metabolic requirements. Mm -hmm. So sometimes 2.4 can be a lot. And sometimes it can be less for the patient. So... Um, Two of the topics that I'm going to be covering is your bypass, blood flow, and then the parameters that affect that perfusion. So as perfusionists, we're mainly there to like perfuse the tissues and to adequately provide that perfusion and to pretty much look at other stuff that you mentioned about, looking at their temperatures, looking at their metabolic requirements, their gas flows, everything. Pressures. Pressures. And uh, so historically, perfusion, uh, like their techniques were established in the 1980s. And in the 1950s, the flow rates were based on a cardiac index of 2.4 liters per minute per meter squared. And currently the effective flows Standards are right now 1.8 to 2.4 liters per minute per meter squared. And uh, the bypass flow rate of cardiac index right now, it's like 2.4 to 3.2 liters per minute per meter squared. Man, that's a lot. 3.2? Yeah. And that's based on unanesthetic patients. So when the patient... Non-anesthetized yeah. patients. Got yeah. it. So when the patient is anesthetized, so they will definitely have a lower cardiac index. Um, because of their metabolic requirements. So now, how do we determine the flow rate? Is it on patient's uh, body surface area or their cardiac index? But that's still an argumentative because we need to look at other parameters of the patient. Okay. So some of the parameters that I will look into is DO2, what Joe just covered, VO2, arterial blood pressures, their urine output, and then acid-base balance, especially lactates. So you already covered this a little bit. I'm just going to go over it a little. So DO2 is the total amount of oxygen delivery to the tissue per minute, uh, irrespective to the distribution of blood flow want to adequately deliver O2 to, to the mitochondria because it's your vital organ. And as you already mentioned, DO2 is equal to your cardiac output times um, the CaO2 was 
times output times flow. Yeah, times your flow. So uh, on bypass, your cardiac output is your pump flow. Um, on pump, your DO2 is dependent on your hemoglobin concentration, your O2 saturation, pump flow, partial pressure, and arterial oxygen. Falls below the critical point, your oxygen consumption cannot be maintained using um, aerobic energy production, and then it further goes into, it activates anaerobic mechanism to supply energy to the cells, which increases that lactate levels, as you mentioned before. And according to Renucci's um, new, uh, what is it called, study, your minimum DO2I, your index, is 280 mils per minute per meter squared. Mm -hmm. First, it was 262. Then they increased it to 272. And now it's 280. Mm -hmm. So that would give somebody with a, let's just hypothetically say, a BSA of two, mm -hmm. 560 milliliters per minute of oxygen delivery to mm -hmm. the tissue. So... Now your uh, oxygen consumption, your global oxygen consumption, uh, VO2I, measures the total amount of oxygen con consumed by the tissue per minute. And you already covered the um, formula. I will just say the VO2 is 200 to 290 mils per minute. So now this is a little um, where the patient, they're looking at the conditions where the patient is like, at certain temperatures, if it's anesthetized or an anesthetized, and what is the oxygen consumption per minute? So if the patient is 37 degrees Celsius with unanesthetized, the VO2 consumption is going to be 4.0 mils per kilogram per minute. And then if it's same temperature but it's um, anesthetized, it's going to be 2 to 3 mils per kilogram per minute. And if it is 27 degrees Celsius and it is anesthetized, it's going to be 1 to 2 mils per kilogram per minute. So when you're decreasing the temperature, your de one, drop, one degree drop will reduce um, the metabolic demand by 7%. So if you're decreasing it by 7%, I mean by 7 degree drop, then it's going to be reducing it by 50%. Mm -hmm. or, 49. or 49, yes. So one degree centigrade drop in temperature. So it is centigrade. Centigrade, though. yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. That's why hypothermia mm -hmm. is so important. It's very important. Okay. So your DO2 versus your VCO2. There was a study that was conducted, and I will talk about it in a minute. So this is your metabolic requirement of a patient. The ratio should be greater than 5. And if the ratio is less than 5, then it's going into anaerobic respiration and it can cause acute kidney injury. So there was a study done by Somer et al. that conducted um, to look at the association between metabolic parameters, your oxygen delivery DO2, and your carbon dioxide production VCO2 during bypass with post-operative um, AKI. So the study was a retrospective analysis of prospective collected data 
at two different institutions of study um, population included 359 adult patients. The DO2 and VCO2 levels of each patient was monitored during bypass outcome. Variables were related to kidney function, peaked post-operative serum creatinine in increase and stage, so AKI stage one and two. So in con conclusion, the DINAR uh, DO2 level during bypass is independently associated with post-operative AKI. The measurement of VCO2-related variables does not added accuracy to the AKI predictor. So the experimental hypothesis was that the um, NADAR DO2 value and, and the DO2 and VCO2 ratio during bypass would be independent predictors of AKI. Multivariable logistic regression models were built to detect the independent predictors of AKI and any kind of kidney function damage. And that is a big deal because, yeah. you know, it's one thing to get the patient through the operation and they still have all of their faculties, but do they necessarily have kidneys that work? And that's so critically important. Yeah. You know, you have that as a big issue. So pretty much like when your CO2 is increasing than your actual demand, you're definitely going to be having um, like anaerobic respiration. And the first organ that shuts off is your kidneys. Very, point. very sensitive to, in fact, that was some of my last slides. I just went ahead and skipped them. I'm glad you're covering it because that is something that we are, you know, when you look at, when you look at acute renal failure following uh, uh, open heart surgery, it is absolutely, in my opinion, and it is unacceptably high. Yeah, it's very and, high. And uh, it's something that I think we need to address uh, moving forward. I'm sorry, forgive me for interrupting. Yeah, of course. No, I... I love it when you add in. Okay, so the DO2 versus VO2. So your oxygen extraction ratio, as you already covered, um, when the critical point of oxygen extraction ratio uh, reaches 60 to 70, it increases your VO2 or decreases in DO2 leads to tissue hypoxemia. And... Uh, it also is a good indicator of transfusion if it's above 40 is a good trigger. So well, this was I mean, the greater than 40, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, so you're saying you're, okay, so you're saying, not the hematocrits of 40, you're mm -hmm. saying that the oxygen, the, the uh, VO2, DO2 ratio mm -hmm. of greater than 40 is a good trigger to consider transfusion. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. And you already covered this. This was something that I was actually put this on. I was like, I'm going to have you explain it to me, but you already did. Okay, good. <laughs> that was like, I learned from you today too. <laughs> okay, so another thing that we look at is our arterial blood pressure while on bypass. So arterial blood pressure is your pressure equals flow divided by your resistance. Flow times resistance, right? It's actually flow divided by your resistance. That's what I got. Pressure equals flow times resistance. No, it's times. It's times? I'm sure. I mean, you just took the boards. I didn't, but I'm pretty sure it's... Uh, hold on. I'm going to look it up. Okay. Go ahead. You can keep going. <laughs> okay. I got it from my notes. <laughs> okay, so having an adequate pressure to provide good blood 
and blood and oxygen to all of the vital organ, especially brain and the kidneys, is pretty um, Plastel's equation, it is times. It is times. I was pretty sure, but you know what? I'm never hesitant to not check. We got to <laughs> correct someone then. Well, wait, no. Oh, no. Pressure equals flow. Oh, no. Flow equals pressure times resistance. Mm -hmm. Pressure equals flow times. Keep going. <laughs> now I don't know. Now you got me confused. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I should have just not said anything. Okay. Uh, so your optimal pressures on bypass is 50 to 70 millimeters of mercury. Again, that determines on your patient's metabolic needs and also their conditions. What like the comorbidities they have, such as if they have carotid stenosis, then you would want to flow a little higher. So yes, something that I was taught. Well, that makes sense. So if you have carotid stenosis, yeah, if you're running along with a pressure of 30, but you also have, and I don't know how much they taught you about this, um, but you have a capillary opening mm -hmm. pressure, right, in the brain. Mm -hmm. So if you have this big drop in blood pressure, you go on pump and you have all of these capillaries closed down. If you only get to a pressure of 30 and you don't get any higher, you may not have a capillary opening pressure sufficient to get that brain or any other organ perfused. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to get that pressure up. Yep. But how we get it up? Do we use Neo or do we use Levo or do we use increased flow? That just determines. That's good that. questions, That's but good I mean, thing. right, I'm asking you. So I would look at other parameters. I would look mm -hmm. at my SVO2 on pump. Mm -hmm. I will, if we use DO2 charts, which I totally believe that we should start doing, and I'm going to start using that into my practice now. Since I'm alone, I'm going to start that. Looking at your DO2, looking at other stuff, looking at urine output, that will tell me, okay, I'm perfusing this patient good enough with my flow, then I can just go ahead and give Neo. Okay, very good. But if there's some things that I don't see, then I'm going to be like, I might need to increase my flow. So now, um, and also some of the factors that af actually affect uh, pressures are like your anesthetic agents, vascular tones, hemodilution, and temperature. So all that actually plays into um, effect. So there was a study that was conducted in Stanford University where they used a flow of 1.0 cardiac index to 1.8 on their, um, and they looked at the neurological functions and they didn't find no problems. They didn't find like a single patient that had actual like neurological problems post bypass. Okay, I have to, I have to say it. What? You're right. <laughs> Flow is pressure divided by resistance. I think I'll just leave you alone now. <laughs> I'm gonna go, in fact, I'm gonna go take a break. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, no, it's good that you're catching me because I'm learning you. from you, too. I should have just been quiet. Go ahead. Up first. Sorry, please. <laughs> I'm going to be learning from you, too, Joe. Come on. Okay, so urine output. This should be carefully monitored. I know some places they're like, this does not matter, but there has been studies where um, they said that if you are not perfusing one to three cc's per kilogram per hour, you are 
are not adequately perfusing you the mean patient. making one to three cc's per kilogram per mm -hmm. hour of urine yeah so if you're not making one to three mls per kig per hour of urine then you are developing and you're not developing yes, you're not so, uh, you may develop aki yes so oligourea develops when your urine output is less than five um 5.0 mils per kilogram per hour and then urine less than 1.5 mils per kilogram per hour has been identified to cause aka according to query at all so it should be um, carefully monitored urine flow rates and optimized mean um, arterial pressure and bypass flow might be a mean to ensure that the you're adequately perfusing your renals during bypass so looking at your arterial flows and looking at your urine output. Mm-hmm. So I had a question for you from the audience. They use, uh, this is uh, David Tolaria. Tol no, Toler, Toler, how do you say it? Tolaria? Tolaria? Okay. I personally prefer to have a mean arterial greater than 70 in elderly patients um, with chronic arterial hypertension uncontrolled. Um, in your opinion, is this malpractice or is there evidence against it? Now, I mean, no, I don't think there's no. mal. I don't think it's malpractice I at don't, all. No, this is not malpractice. And, and uh, we have flowed higher in patients mm -hmm. with um, hypertension mm -hmm. because they sit there. With a, mean, mean a higher arterial. mean arterial yeah, pressure. If, if the patient is sitting there like they're normal and you're flowing to that point, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to, um, I'm glad he pulled this up, that comes back to the cardiac index. Mm -hmm. Do we really need to flow that much? Because if a patient sits at a cardiac index, for example, 1.8, mm -hmm. so if you were to see me, I would go around and ask the car anesthesiologist, like, where does this patient sit? Because that kind of gives me the clue that I don't have to really be flowing, you know, 2.4 or 2.5. Mm -hmm. I can flow less if a patient is super big or, you know, if there's a problem. So yeah, you don't perfuse you, fat, really. Yeah, you don't perfuse fat. You don't. Not uh, much. Yeah, you don't perfuse that adipose tissues. So you can ask them where does this patient sits, where his baseline is, and then you can um, perfuse to that mm -hmm. cardiac index or a little higher if you mm -hmm. want. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. absolutely fine. Yeah, that's, I think so, too. Yeah. I think I, I'm actually uncomfortable even with normal patients with a mean pressure, you know, much below 70. I'll mm -hmm. tolerate 60, I'll tolerate 65 in certain people, but actually, uh, David, uh, I, would, I would prefer to have a, uh, a uh, mean arterial pressure of 70 the entire yeah. time. That's my preference. And I keep it around 60 to 80. And I know, no, I know of no evidence. You're welcome. I know of no evidence that supports um, running lower than that. In mm -hmm. fact, if, it, it, I don't want to, I don't want to get sidetracked here. But if you go back again in history to Shumway, Shumway had the 30-30-30 rule. Yeah. 30 degrees, 30 cc's per kilo of flow, and 30 mean arterial pressure. And his outcomes were abysmal. So they abandoned that. But that used to be the standard uh, back in the early days of doing heart surgery. But they had s too many strokes and too much yeah. AK, uh, acute renal failure and too much death. So uh, they don't do that. They, we learned very quickly that's not a good idea. So it was the 30 rule, 30, 30, 30. Yeah. So 
there's hopefully we answered. Yeah, and the baselines are very important to know. Yeah, know where your patient yeah. is, Sitting. where they, where their, what their basal sort mm -hmm. of philosophy is mm -hmm. or uh, physiology is. If they're used to a mean pressure of seventy-five, then why are we giving them a mean pressure of fifty? Exactly. And being okay with that, right? Mm -hmm. If they have been living and actually walking around with a cardiac index of 1.8, why do we have to give them an index now of 2.4 under general anesthesia and hypothermia? Yep. It doesn't make sense, except they were an index of 1.8, and this is, I think, the whole point of this lecture, is mm -hmm. you're in an index of 1.8, but what's your DO2? Because yeah. your hemoglobin may be 13. Mm -hmm. Now your hemoglobin is 7. Mm -hmm. So you've cut it nearly in half. Yeah. So you may need that higher flow. So really, are we? why are we using these indexes to flow when we should be looking at DO2 mm -hmm. versus just this arbitrary number of my index? Yeah. Because that assumes a normal oxygen, arterial oxygen content, which we don't have mm -hmm. when we're doing surgery. Agreed? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I totally do. Okay. And there's a lot of cases we do that have no urine output. Yeah. But because we also are... do really fast cases. Yeah. So that happens a lot. Doesn't mean they're not making urine before and it doesn't mean they're not making urine after. after but sometimes when you have an hour pump run or an hour and 20 minute pump run they don't make a whole heck of a lot of urine mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily we i think we have the country as a whole has an unacceptably high aki rate yeah but i can't say that lack of urine production during bypass or very little urine production during bypass has necessarily been the most accurate marker for me in my experience of a patient who is then postoperatively going to go into renal failure. Go on, I'm sorry. So then we also like monitor our blood gases during bypass just to check. So such as our hemoglobin, hematocrit, lactates, pH, um, base, excess, uh -huh. and then... <laughs> PCO2, PO2, and SVO2. So some markers are very important than others, such as our lactates, but then even that can uh, kind of throw us off because it just depends on where we are in the case, such as like cross-clamping or warming. Our lactates are going to be a little higher than normal. So I'm going to cover that in my next slide. Well, actually in my afterwards. So your venous saturation, SVO2, and mixed venous, um, yeah, your mixed venous oxygen tension. So uh, your PVO2 is, no is a normal mixed venous oxygen tension, which represents the balance between oxygen consumption and oxygen delivery, which is usual around like 40 millimeters of mercury. And your SVO2 is a mixed venous oxygen saturation which is around 65 to 75. So now, are they a good mar marker of adequacy of perfusion? Um, they both, PVO2 and SVO2 doesn't mean that cellular oxygenation is satisfied. However, if the distance capillaries are not equally perfused, 
tissues may not get um, blood flow and as a result your PVO2 or SVO2 may actually increase mimically, mimicking a vascular shunt. Therefore, they are useful and easy markers to measure, but they are not related to adequate tissue perfusion. Exactly. And I actually had mentioned that too. I had said that that measuring mixed, when we do our mixed venous coming down the venous line, that's looking at everything. Mm -hmm. Whereas with, the, with uh, Dr. Rivers, he does the jugular bulb because you're much less likely to have capillary shunting in the brain. Yeah. That's the one organ that's going to be so incredibly sensitive to uh, oxygen delivery and, and consumption. So, uh, yeah, you can, have, uh, you, can have, you can have all kinds of things going on peripherally mm -hmm. where you're not utilizing any oxygen yeah. for a variety of reasons yeah. with a microcirculatory derangement, and your SVO2 looks great, but it really isn't. Yeah. So SVO2 on bypass, as you mentioned, is or a whole... Or your perfusion is not good, right? Your yes. tissue oxygenation is not good. As you said, on bypass, your SVO2 is like a whole body picture, but it does not give you a regional perfusion of the tissue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very good. So now I'm going to cover um, lactates. So under anaerobic conditions, lactate production results from cellular metabolism of pyrrhus ruvate into lactate. Lactate level is an important and strong predictor of clinical outcome in patients undergoing bypass and in critically ill patients. So blood lactate levels in lactate levels in lactate acidosis are related to blood oxygen depth and the tissue per, and is related to less tissue perfusion. So um Lactate above 4.0 millimoles per liter during bypass is a strong predictor of a hyperperfusion. Um, so there was a study that was conducted, and I'm going to like go a little bit and say something about it. <laughs> so that study was uh, conducted to just see the hyperlactemia, and they said that uh, time plays a major role in when the patient seizes that hyperlactemia, um, po and it was immediately post-operative where your lactate levels increase. Levels had worse outcome compared to patients who have developed hyperlactemia later after the surgery. So therefore, the timing of hyperlactemia early versus late may have different underlying mechanism and different impacts on clinical outcomes after cardiac surgeries. So stress-induced hyperlactemia that is due to anaerobic glycolysis as a result of t tissue hyperperfusion, hypoxemia, or both. So, um, however, recent studies linked some forms of stress hyperlactemia to increase aerobic lactate production secondary to increase um, adagernic stimulation with or without decreased lactic clearance. Thus, it seems that not all patterns of hyperlactemia are harmful after cardiac surgery and that the timing of hyperlactemia is one potential co-founder of benign versus detrimental hyperlactemia. So another stu um, study that was conducted by Arganeri et al. found that not only time has an effect on hyperlactemia, but the event during bypass can cause um, hyperlactemia, such as your cross clamp, um, rewarming, and 
increasing in diabetes. So early lactemia after um, cardiac surgery was associated with increased morbidity and mortality. Late hyperlactemia was very common and had a self-timing and benign course. So I found that study very, like, very interesting because I remember at one of my sites we would measure lactates and at points I would see the lactates rising. And question was why? So definitely when you're taking that cross claim off, your heart, um, the heart is ischemic, it's starting to wake up, you're going to start seeing that. So, uh, or otherwise at rewarming, now your vascular beds are opening up, so your blood is flowing through. You're getting some washout. You're getting that washout. From out. areas that yes. may have been hypoperfused. Yes. So you got to be very mindful of all these things. Are you really treating, are you actually looking at the cause? I mean, but are you actually looking at like, the timing, or are you actually just looking at the numbers? So just to be clear, because I need a little bit of help, I, I, I heard your, the article, um, but I, I'm not sure exactly what the message was. I want to make sure I get it. So, a, so you're saying that an early lactatemia, mm -hmm. hyperlactatemia, is not harmful if it's in that context, or was it the late uh, hyperlactatemia? So the early is harmful. Harmful. Yes, but the late is benign. Okay, so, so when they say late, so mm -hmm. early would be on pump to me. Yes, early would be on pump or coming off of pump. So, so such as like your cross clamping, mm -hmm. your rewarming, or I read um, that diabetes causes it too. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to look Because of microcirculatory yeah. problems. Yes. With diabetics typically. So... So if you're seeing an elevated lactate on pump. You got to be very mindful of what events are you, where are you? It. Yes. Where are you? Are you like, did they just cross clamp? Did they just take that off? Mm -hmm. Or are you rewarming? Mm -hmm. So you got to be very mindful and just don't take the action there. Just so be very mindful of where you I'm, are. But right. But what I'm getting confused about, and I am confused about it. So you got to mm -hmm. help me. So you're saying early mm -hmm. elevated lactates is harmful. Mm -hmm. Is that because if it's caused by hypoperfusion or are you saying, because I would think that if you have elevated lactates in the ICU, there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. So, but why is that benign? I don't quite get it. I'm, not, I'm having a hard time getting it. So in that article, it really did not identify mm -hmm. late perfusion. I mean, by late late hyperglycemia it just said hyperlactatemia i mean uh -huh. by hyper hyperlactatemia uh -huh. it just said that if it's after i think like eight hours of bypass that's what it mentioned in the article okay. so that was a little confusing to me too but what i understood was the early during bypass was you're looking at certain events so mm -hmm. you're keeping up with your case so you're not just you know, trying to treat it or trying to increase the flows or doing so something. So you're saying don't treat it if it's elevated during the case? Look at the events. Okay, so, so if the, let's say there's no event. So if there's no event, yes. then you got to treat it. Because it's hypoperfused, generalized hypoperfusion. Yes. You're not perfusing the patient adequately and the lactate's going yes. up. If there's some, so, so what you're saying is measure the lactate. If the lactate looks like it's bumped a little bit, and there's not another reason for yes. it. 
the clamp came just came off, you're rewarming, whatever the case may be, yeah. that you should increase your flow mm -hmm. because you're not flowing on enough. this patient adequately. Yes. Okay, fair that's, enough. That's, I think I get it now. Okay. Hey, Magic, can I ask a question? I keep seeing on the YouTube these uh, these like crazy things. Is there something, should we just delete these and get rid of them? Can you? Because I don't know what it is. It doesn't make sense. Okay. All right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh. Um, that's. That was about it that I looked into. That's it? We're done? Yep. These okay. These were some of the important things that I wanted to point out that I look at particularly when I'm on bypass. And also, just to wrap up, I would say that don't focus on numbers, don't focus on the standard goals. Look at the entire whole picture of the patient. Mm -hmm. Look at if that patient, look at the pressures, look at their DO2, VO2, SVO2s. Mm -hmm. Look at everything that we actually mentioned about before mm -hmm. making any move. So yeah. should we be starting predicting um, what the DO2 on the patient should be? In other words, because we're doing an update on the app, right? Mm -hmm. And we have DO2 on there. Um, but if we were going to do that, so you had mentioned, um, in that, uh, that, uh, that Renucci had suggested a certain, uh, DO2, Number it was, was 280. It 280 mLs per kilogram, right? Or per meter squared, Yes. 230, 280 mLs per meter squared. So 560 for a two, uh, meter squared patient. Mm -hmm. Okay. So should we know that number and should we be documenting that number and then measuring it when we go on bypass? We should be mm -hmm. trying to. But in order to do that, we have to know what the oxygen, mm -hmm. the arterial oxygen content is mm -hmm. to know what our DO2 is because we can't continuously monitor DO2 because we would have to continuously monitor hemoglobin at the same time. Okay. And, uh, and you're an advocate of higher perfusion pressures. You don't like the perfusion pressure under 50, 60, 40. Where do you, where do you sit so I try when to you do a case? So I try to look at the patient's base parameters. Like when they first come in, I try to see. I look at their um, charts, too, if they're hypertensive. Um, and then I base it off of that. So if the patient sits at, like, higher pressure, such as 70, 80, I will give them that higher pressure. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I would try to maintain it between 60 to 80. 60 to 80. What do you do when uh, they're getting back bleeding through the coronary and they're yelling that they want the perfusion pressure down? I just go ahead and start decreasing my, either my flow or either I just tur turn mm -hmm. my anesthetics on a little bit mm -hmm. for a few minutes. And then once I see the pressures down, then I will go ahead and decrease it mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. go back to my. How do you balance? How do you decide? Um, they, need to do, they need to do what they're doing. They can't see. Mm -hmm. How far can I actually go? For how long can I actually go down? Um, but they're really getting frustrated because they're really bleeding up there and they can't see from collaterals, bronchial circulation, whatever the case may be. doesn't make any difference. They're, they're, they think they need the flow down in order to be able to do what they're doing, the flow and the pressure down in order to do what they're doing. How long do you do that for? What are you looking at? Are you considering where you're at in the case? Are you cold? Are you warm? How do you address them if you think this is too low? What do you say? So, 
good question. <laughs> so at that point, I'm going to be first looking at where I flow. I'm going to go ahead and make my move of, if I can, increase my vacuum so I can start draining or increase my um, suckers so I can get more return back. If that does not help, helps, then I can look at my temperatures, how cold that patient is, and I can reduce it down a little bit. And I can see if my pressures maintain and also my SVO2 maintains. Mm -hmm. If it drops a little bit, I'm okay with it. But if it drops dramatically, I am not okay with it. Mm -hmm. And I will address that to the surgeon. Mm -hmm. Like I how? What would you say? Tell me what you'd say. I will pretty much tell him that I need, I am flowing at this index and I cannot go lower than this. Mm -hmm because of his SVO2 mm -hmm. decrease. Mm -hmm. Okay, look, I just need it down a little bit longer. I just need another minute. You okay with that? We can do it for a minute if my temperatures um, mm -hmm. allow me to. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if it's like my pressures are super low with the pr uh, flow, then I will mm -hmm. address it with him that I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I cannot. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then they turn around and say, but Ramsha, <laughs> the patient's going to die if I can't fix this. I need the flow down. Then I can decrease the temperature for a few minutes and then decrease the flow. Okay, good. <laughs> Can't wait to do a case with you when that happens. I'm going to tell them to do it. Now, just on purpose. I'm going to say, okay, this is what I need you to do. Make sure we're nice and warm, too, when we do it. No, I mean, that's going to be some. That's going to be a fun day. I'm going to do that with Vittoria. Don't. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking forward to pelting okay. cases. Okay, pressure <laughs> equals flow time resistance, but flow equals pressure divided by resistance. Yes, you, you, I, I, I was like, I, I knew, I knew there was a times in there. Okay, it's pressure equals flow times resistance. Flow equals pressure divided by resistance. So you were right. I somehow, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Okay, I have no idea what you I was know, thinking. You know, Joe, I learned. I did it just to throw you a curveball. You know, Joe, one thing I learned. Yes. Is you got to be aggressive behind that pump. Yes, you do. And I learned it from one of the best perfusionists that I shadowed in Waco. And he told me, he was like, if you don't like it, you tell them because you own this. That's right. So, Who was that? Oh, God. Joe. His name was Joe, too. It figures. <laughs> okay, Joe from Waco, you have a, you got a question? Bill is here? Yeah, we're going to take a, we're going to take a short break. We're going to take a short break. So we're going to excellent work. Thank you. I think you did a fantastic job. Very pleased, very proud of you. That was very good. Thank you. And we'll do very many more. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. And I'm going to give another little short talk on advancements in perfusion, the future of perfusion, if you will. And then we're going to have a really neat session between you, myself, and our next guest, Bill Watson, who I'll introduce when he gets in here. We come back from our break. And we're going to have a real interesting talk on the economy of perfusion. Why do we do what? What, what are the choices we have? What's really out there? What are your employment options? What are the hospital's options? What are companies' goals? What are individuals' goals? What are people, why do people work for one uh, type of setup versus another type of setup? Hospital employed, contract group employed, large group employed, small group employed. 
working for the surgeons, working for themselves independently? How do we do what it is we do? Because at the end of the day, even though you don't do what you do for the money and neither do I, we still want to be paid for our efforts because that's how we live, right? And uh, we have studied really hard for, and we have had lots of sleepless nights and we have, it's been a, it, this is a, a passion, but I want to be paid too, okay? And uh, I feel like I deserve to be paid. Yeah. And you should too. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's what makes the world go round. So uh, we're go- it's going to be a very interesting conversation. So we're going to take a 10-minute uh, break, if you will. Now, also, David told me to tell everybody, um, we're actually going to, you can keep that, we're going to shut the stream completely off because this was PerfWeb 68. Normally, when we're doing a long uh, day with a lot of different sessions, we'll just do a break, um, and then we'll come right back to the same show. But in order to be compliant with everything, we have to actually stop the stream completely and then restart the stream on YouTube, FaceTime, Twitter, all of that kind of stuff, um, the social media platforms and restart it for PerfWeb 74. So I'll have to kind of do quickly opening remarks again, but we're going to be very quick in doing that today, and we'll get everything done by, uh, by I'm sure, 5 o'clock. Thank you all very much. Ramsha, yes? So were you in the, is this the end of 68? This is the end of 68. Okay, so when we come back, we'll be at 72. Yes, this is the end of PerfWeb 68. So Ramsha Azmat, I want to thank you. Excellent lecture. I'm always happy to have you, and you have been, I am so incredibly proud of you and so incredibly humbled to call you my colleague. Thank you. Thank you very much.